Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. In this episode, I speak with Michelle Clement. This conversation is full of great stories, like when Michelle drove President Obama around in her Honda Civic, or about the time in college when she spoke publicly without warning or preparation in front of senior legislative officials, mayors, members of Congress, judges, etc. We talk about the secret gem of a career in working in the association industry, and we dig in a bit deeper on the topic of equality and how she fights for it on behalf of herself, but more so for those she's responsible for as CEO. Enjoy this episode. Thank you again so much for agreeing to be on the podcast and a big thank you to Missy for coordinating this. I've been, we've talked about you and I having this conversation for a long time, at least Missy and I have. So, oh, there's Moose making her debut. I think where we'd like to begin is to talk a little bit about your current role, what you do, and maybe a day in the life. I think that would be a fun place to start, uh, Michelle, just to hear a little bit about that. You're the first person I've talked to in the association world, so it's really cool to have mm-hmm. someone bring that perspective and that background to to the conversation and for people to learn about this career path. Yes, so I am the CEO of the Chicago Association of Realtors, and Most people listen to that and think, okay, she's in real estate, which I am, but my background is really in association management and association management is this straight hidden gem of a career. It is this career that very few people actually decide and wake up one day. I want to go into association management. You might say you want to go into nonprofit work. You might say you want to do like fundraising or charity but you don't really think about an association, which is a 501c6 organization. And these are organizations that are basically there to service, you know, different professions, different industries. There is an association for for literally everything, literally everything. So if you think about like, the easiest way to describe it, I think about is attorneys. And attorneys are part of the American Bar Association. And they're part of that for not only keeping their license and not only getting the different you know, standards that they have to have, they're also a part of it because this is where their network, this is where their organization is. So associations are basically made up of whatever the industry is, whatever the profession is, and it kind of sets the guidelines. Some of them have certifications and different things like that. So I've been doing that for over 15, 16 years, um, just strictly working within a C6 organization. Um, I've really found a great space in real estate associations. So I've been doing this for my third year at the Chicago Association of Realtors. We have about 17,500 realtors in the city of Chicago. And our budget is around 11 million. We Mm -hmm. have about 42 people on staff. So it's a pretty, pretty cool place. I'm really, really found my niche. So that is really cool. And you're, and I'm gonna have, I have like just, Based on what you said, I have all these questions already. But um, in terms of, so you're you're CEO in in the association space. So from a CEO perspective, there's probably some conversation we could have about what your role is 
in that space and then you gave a great description of what being in an association or in that career is like how did you maybe first start we'll start with the association piece what was your background or how did you navigate to that path like to, to finding that type of work okay so my undergrad degree was in journalism communications and i wanted to be like a political correspondent like be on cnn or move to dc stand outside the white house and i remember thinking if i do this job in dc i'll, I'll probably be at the very bottom might intern out there for like a semester I'll be probably living with Larry and Missy or in a box <laughs> like, and it's not going to be that lucrative. And I really wanted to make some money after school. Um, but I was actually working as an associate producer at a CBS 31 affiliate in Peoria, Illinois, which is where my college was. And the, I used to do this five, six and 10 o'clock news. And so I was an associate producer, which basically meant like floor directing and doing whatever the producers told you to do. And so you looked up to these producers, like they were, you know, God, and you want to get to their level. And the break between the six and 10 is when you're supposed to go get some food or do what you got to do. So I'm leaving the studio to go walk to Wendy's and the lead like evening producer is outside kicking his car. There's smoke coming out of the car and he is literally kicking his car and having like a breakdown. And I look at him and I'm like, are, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And he yells, don't you dare go in the TV or this is what you get. And I was like, I do not want that. I already didn't think it was going to be, you know, making money. I said, I don't want any parts of that. So I literally walked to Wendy's, got my food before the 10 o'clock news and decided to make a career change. In wow. And said, let me go the nonprofit route because I really love like an undergrad planning events and like being like working with different organizations in the campus and in the community. So I just started applying to nonprofits and I ended up getting a job with the Boy Scouts of America, um, the WD Boys Council. And that was, it was great. It was a lot of fundraising, volunteer management, um, event planning, but it was a C3 organization. So it really relied on fundraising and I was good at fundraising, but I didn't really like doing it. I had done like campaign fundraising for political candidates. I just, it wasn't something I liked to do. Mm -hmm. um, I went over to the Muscular Dystrophy Association because I wanted to move back to Chicago and that was there. Mm -hmm. And they had the same kind of setup where it's, you know, it is a C3, so you're still raising money, but you're doing a lot of this other work. I ended up getting into a car accident and I got, um, I injured my back pretty badly. So I was out for, I think like three and a half months from work um, before I even had surgery and ended up knowing that I couldn't go back into a job that required me to be in the field, like going out and try to fundraise. I needed to be able to sit at a desk. So I looked for anything that was in communications to go back with that journalism degree. Cause I didn't hmm. know how to write, just get me in something that works that way. And I just started applying and I ended up getting a job at this place called Smith Buckland which is an association management company. So this where it gets even more confusing. So it's a company that manages uh -huh. associations. It's basically shared staff. And I think they manage at the time more than 200 associations. And so I get this job there and they're like, okay, you're gonna do marketing and communications for like three medical associations and a trade association. And I'm just like, okay. 
but I got in there and I didn't fully understand the scope of associations, but I knew I'm working in nonprofit for a for-profit company. Right. And I really started to like it. But then once it started to click, the work we were doing for these associations, and I had four clients at the time, it was the same type of work, no matter what the association was, whether Hmm. it was medical, trade, you know, technology, it was the same work. And so I started to look deeper into what that career meant and ended up joining the Association for Associations, which is like Association Forum in Chicago and Mm -hmm. ASAE, and just learned more about it and eventually got certified in it when I got my master's degree in nonprofit management, the specialization in association management, and just dove on Never looked back. Never looked back. (laughs) So, Missy has been telling me about how you are someone who's won a ton of awards and accolades within your profession. So, congratulations on that. And I'm curious, given I love your story, I'm someone who loves the path that people take and how they figure things out. And I find, as we've talked to so many people, it's rarely like, I want to do this. And it's a very straight line Mm -hmm. to doing that. It's exactly kind of what you described. Some of that your own drive and then some of it circumstances that happened to you that made you change and pivot and I think that's such Mm -hmm. a great lesson to be able to pivot and and go another direction if the one that you thought was the one isn't quite working Mm -hmm. what would you say in your career field and in your path are the skills and attributes that help someone to be successful Um, if you think about association management when you think about getting your master's in that line of work. What are some of the things that people would gravitate to or that that would be good at in that type of role? Um, I think definitely this is, I think it's the soft skills, you know, not necessarily things you learn in school, but it's the relationship building, mm-hmm. the, the connecting of people, the networking, you know what I mean? Really just being able to connect with people because associations are typically about people, you know, the members that are there. So you want to be able to connect with them at various levels, whether they're, you know, the president of the association or a first time member or a student member, just really being able to connect with people in general, I think is a, a huge thing that you need to have. Um, the other side, especially what we're seeing now is being strategic and innovative and flexible. You know, you really have to be able to see ahead. Like everything's getting disrupted across the board and associations are the places that help individuals in their different fields pivot. You know, so when Mm -hmm. we hit COVID and everything shut down, it's the relationships that, you know, we had with government affairs that allowed real estate to stay essential in Illinois. And that allowed us to help our association and our members in real estate pivot to a new way of doing business. So we started providing opportunities for virtual showings that were already there, but really enhanced it. Right. And offer different types for different types of members that might not have all the resources. But that took people in our in our um, employee set that could look ahead and say, okay, things are getting shut down. What are people going to need? And what do we have to do to get them ready so that they have it? So I think it's just being, um, having a lot of foresight having a lot of flexibility, but then also just that strategic mindset. It's not so much always tactical. It's really looking at, I always say, look about two to three years ahead of where you think the organization can go. Mm -hmm. And then um, on the CEO side of things, tell me about that piece and 
and what was the progression like for you to to become an acting CEO? Yeah, I definitely jumped. Um, I went from like a senior manager to an executive director and that I mostly attribute to moving. So I was living in Chicago where it's the second largest um, headquarter location for associations with DC being number one. Okay. I had zero intention of leaving Chicago ever. Like why? Okay, I gotta figure out what I want. Everything's here. Um, my fiance at the time had a job at Starbucks in Seattle, so basically we had to move to Seattle for and do what we're doing. And I did not want to go, and I left like kicking and screaming. I was not feeling it. But um, what I ended up doing was looking for an association management company because I knew that, and I said there's not a lot of associations in Seattle, let alone on the West Coast, but if I can find an association management company, then you know I can plot myself in there. And I found there were two there at the time. I think um, even Grace, my husband, was researching some, and we found two. And I just reached out to them to do you know informal interviews. And I had the CAE designation, um, the Certified Association Executive, which a lot of uh, association professionals in Washington State did not have. Mm-hmm. So they gave me an advantage. And one of the management companies was in an active hiring situation for an executive director and said, do you want to interview? I said, well, you know, sure, why not? I wasn't planning on moving this soon, but why not? And flew out there. Um, you know, it was one of these situations where I felt so confident in the interview because of what I knew um, about the industry and what I knew for my certification. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in on the West Coast, especially, they didn't look at it like association management. It was more looked at whatever industry you were serving, like real estate, for example. So I brought a different edge um, where I was able to apply best practices and I ended up getting that job, um, which like I said, was a big jump, but I really relied on my network back mm-hmm. in Chicago and also, you know, ASAE, where I had got my certification from. I just relied on all of that. Um, but I ended up getting asked to go and join the uh, Commercial Brokers Association, which was a standalone um, C6 organization and had like, I don't know, 4,000 members as opposed to maybe a few hundred that I was doing before and went through that interview process. and shot to myself and got it and from there just been moving up what are some of the things you love about your current role like in terms of being a ceo and in terms of some of the decisions that have to be made at that level like what are some of the things that you enjoy about it Relatable is sponsored by Teresa Freeman Associates, your one-stop shop for soft skills development, speaking, coaching, and workshops. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.teresafreemanassociates.com for more information. Yeah, the most fulfilling is the things I can provide for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so specifically for the staff team, I because I made a jump, I'm not that removed from middle management. And I remember what I wish I had or what I wish I was brought into the room for, what I wish I knew, what opportunities. I remember situations I didn't like, you know, in the workplace. And so I try to do better. Um, I try to provide different opportunities. I try to really push the field of association management. A lot of people end up 
working there by accident and don't realize what, what kind of a gem they have. Mm -hmm. So I really, that's the part I love the most. Um, I'm here in Cleveland right now at a conference, a real estate conference, and we had two of our team that would typically come to this, um, had conflicts and weren't able to come. And so instead of just saying, okay, they don't come, I just go over myself. Um, we brought two of the other staff, which were at coordinator level, and then I brought uh, my assistant. And it was something for them to be here and see a bigger picture of this industry, you know what I mean, from a yeah. national level that they typically wouldn't get. And that's the kind of stuff I love to do. I really love being able to do that. So interesting you say that. I was uh, There's someone else I was talking to that when he went out to really build his own company, he really loved the world of education and development, yet saw that the financial opportunity was really to build out a technical or technology consulting firm. So that's what he did, given the financial upside, yet what he really used that opportunity to do was to develop people, right? It was like within the construct of saying, yeah, this is the tech spaces where we can make money or this can be a successful company. He created this way of developing people and having pe really being a people-centered business just under the umbrella of tech consulting. And it kind of sounds like you're doing that also. Like it's really about the yeah. development of people. Um, what about your community? So I know that you're super involved and connected to your community and supporting your community. So tell me just a little bit about that part of your life and some of the things you've done in that space. When you say community, are you speaking like my community of association people or my community like literally where I live? Yeah, community. Like, maybe there's like a little political component to, to I heard a little Obama story maybe you could oh. share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, I like to do a lot of, um, well, I used to like to do a lot of political campaign volunteering. Like I'm volunteering for candidates and mostly because it, it's just fun. And then you also have the chance to bring somebody into office who you really believe in. You might believe in their mission and you hope that they'll make, whether it's the city, state or federal um, better than it was before. And one of the first people I got to work with was uh, Barack Obama when he was running for US Senate out of Illinois. And I was in Peoria, Illinois at the time and got a chance to work on his campaign and he was like at the time no one knew who he was right outside of illinois they just didn't know him and i remember going to he came to bradley university and we had coordinated a uh actually his first downstate rally now that i think about it um in illinois and we were told you know he has to get to this other location off the campus and he has to be on time and he didn't have a motorcade, he didn't have like cars, he didn't even have like a black car, nothing. It was basically whoever was around would drive him. And he's like, well, I'm gonna ride with them. You know, we were the students at the time and cause he liked to connect with people. So yeah. like, okay. So he gets in the car and then I'm getting threatened by like one of the campaign managers, like he better not be late. Like you better not have him late. And I'm like, okay, I promise. <laughs> so we're in the car and he's like giving us his book, of course, you know, signing his book. <laughs> And I'm speeding through Peoria, Illinois, and I had this little red Honda hatchback, which had like no seat. We called it the Delta Mobile. And the seatbelt didn't work. It was one of those automatic seatbelts that oh, was, yeah. and it didn't, I, it didn't work. So I'm flying down Peoria and I'm making these fast turns and he's like telling me like, okay, you can, you can slow down. I'm like, no, you can't be late. And I'm like, hold on. I'm doing like the mom arm. 
you know, you're like trying to block your kids <laughs> and doing that, like spinning around and driving like crazy. And he's trying to sign the books, like holding oh. them. Like, it's okay. We'll be like, it's okay. But you know, that was to me um, very cool. Cause I think like two weeks later, he spoke at the national uh, democratic national convention and then just blew the hell up. Like it yeah. just was like overnight. And he was absolutely not allowed to get back in my car after that. <laughs> That's uh, what a great story. What a great story. Uh, and seemed like a good guy even then, right? Like just kind of rolling with it. And yeah, he, he was amazing. Like he was someone that I worked on that because I kept telling people, if you just meet him or just come listen to him speak, you'll, you'll hear it too, or you'll see it too. And you'll want to be involved. You'll want to help him get into this role. And so, and, it, and that's what happened. Like the more people we would bring, the bigger their crowds would get and you know pointing yeah. case the dnc convention he gave one speech and then he's like a celebrity overnight right so it, it but it always felt genuine you know what i mean like yeah. he definitely you know he has his flaws like i think everybody does and there's been some things i'm like eh. but you know overall as a person and what i think he really brought and what he believed in it was true and that was what um why i jumped on that and really got into that and I, I did the same with uh robin kelly she's a congresswoman out of illinois also mm-hmm. like a second mom and she ran for um u.s congress you know during a special election and it was the same thing like dove in basically had a second job working about 30 hours a week just trying to get get her elected and it was because i really believed in her message and more so i believed in her like mm. i believed it was sincere like she was called to serve in leadership just like I felt, you know, Obama was, and, and I wanted to support that. Where do you think that comes from? Like, just in terms of your own upbringing, or when you think about your own life, what what, what inspires you to be connected and and support that while while you already have, you know, to your point, you already have a full time job. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. So, what do you think? Where does that drive come from? Um, I've always been interested in politics and kind of like I had talked about originally wanted to be like this political correspondent. Right. I also had a goal of wanting to run for like U.S. Senator one day um, and really wanting to be in in the level of service that was the most impactful. That changed for me when I worked on these campaigns and I saw really? a lot of hurdles, you know what I mean, that they're faced with, a lot of the you know, red tape that they have to deal with. And, and especially through um, Robin Kelly's campaign, just watching, you know, how hard she worked and how no matter what she did, there were people that were always going to be against her just because, you know, I mean, maybe they made a deal somewhere else. So it didn't matter, you know what I mean? Like how passionate or truth, truthful she was. And I was like, that's not really what is in my, my passion or my wheelhouse right now that I want to do. But those that have the the means to do that, and by means I mean like the the drive and the passion to do that, um, I want to help them, yeah. them get there. So that's why I kind of took that piece away. But I think growing up, uh, actually, I have another story. I was in my Girl Scout troop. We visited the governor's mansion in um, Springfield, Illinois. It was the state capital, so you do like the tour. Right. We went to the governor's mansion. It, it was like gorgeous. I just thought it was the most beautiful house or building I'd ever seen and I was saying to the tour guy like man I really 
love this house. I wish um, I could live here one day. And he says to me, he says, well, maybe one day you'll marry the governor. And <gasps> I was, I think 11, 10, 11, maybe nine. And I, and I legit was, I didn't miss a beat. And I said, well, why can't I just be the governor? Yeah. And, and my mom was there and she's like, yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, you got it. And <laughs> I didn't get why she was all excited. And then he looked all embarrassed. And I would remember being confused. And it wasn't because I legit was like, why would he say that? Like, why can't I just be the governor? And later, you know, my mom explained to me, you know, he just assumed as a woman, right. Girl, that you would never be able to be the governor, you know what I mean? And that I rem that was really just one of those jolting moments, I think, that clicked that it's like, I could totally be the governor, you know what I mean? I don't have to marry the governor. And later on, um, Carol Mosley Braun was the first um, Black woman senator uh, from the, or just period. And so at that time, I remember thinking like, well, that's like two, you know what I'm saying? She's black and a woman <laughs> and from Illinois and SME and then later in the same sorority. And so it was one of these things where I'm like, why is there so few, you know what I mean? Like, why right. are there, why is that assumption that you can't do this? Right. Um, so I think that's one of the things that really would drive it. It was the first time I realized that there was some form of unconscious bias or discrimination based on like your sex your gender, your age, you know, and so it was definitely like, hmm, that's not fair. You know, right. You know, the Girl Scout troops, you would think he would catch on and <laughs> uplift girls, but right. go get married. So Go get married and be the governor. And then the how much life. more have, you know, I'm curious for you, like just given your path, and I've talked about this occasionally with different women that I've interviewed, and, you know, how much have you found that to be an obstacle for you in terms of any type of unequal treatment, unfair treatment, you know, like how often did you have to be resilient or were there some obstacles in your way that you had to, to navigate through? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. You know, every day. I really, I think I, I've been fortunate that I've been able to get into positions, but then there's a lot of proving myself that I have to do. There's a lot of being questioned that you know wouldn't be the case for a male counterpart or a white counterpart there's a lot of you know just plain old disrespect that i yeah. receive from people right that i wouldn't be you know they wouldn't even think to speak to you know other people like that and when i came into the commercial brokers association what was pretty cool is that commercial real estate in general is is not diverse there's not very many women, not many people of color at all in the industry. And when I was getting the job or interviewing, the search committee was all white men. Um, but I had been in a place where that, that wasn't intimidating for me because I had been working in commercial real estate at the previous association. And so I was fine with it. It was really just a matter of, are they going to be fine with me? Right. You know what I mean? And and eventually, you know, I went through the process. I got the job. But what happened was afterwards, once you're in there, you know, you have the committee that hired you, but the other 4,000 members didn't, you know. So they're just like, who is this? Not only is she a woman, she's black, she's young. She's also not from here in Washington, which was a thing. You know what I mean? So right. 
So it like my whole first year was really just, I go back to that relationship building, but it was a level of building that I had to like almost go and kiss the ring and show that I was, you know, capable and had the mindset to be there. And one of my co-hosts on text the table on one of the podcasts I have, uh, Sean Boynes at the time, I remember I was calling him one day because there was a lot of that imposter syndrome that sneaks yeah. in. Yeah. And he told me, he's like, you just need to remember that the board hired you because they knew you could do the job. So regardless of what any member wants you to prove to them, regardless of who thinks you can't do something, remember, you know what I mean? They hired you for this. And, you know, I've carried that with me. Um, when I came over to CAR, uh, the realtors, it still happens. I think within my first month, there was a board member that actually, uh, told me to my face that she just didn't get it while I was there. Huh. Like, I just don't, That's I just nice. Don't get it. Yeah, my assistant at the time like was about to just hop over and fire her. But anyway, <laughs> we, we moved past that. But those are, I mean, I wasn't phased by it as much as like my assistant was because it happened so much. And so, I mean, I was definitely upset with her because she was the audacity of it, but it was more, it's just such a part of daily life unfortunately and there's some days that i'm resilient and move past it and have a nice little quick quirk back and, and handle it right there's other days that you know it knocks me down it drains me and i'll just you know shut down for the day but i think it's just knowing that if i stick through it and address it because i do address it right um, hopefully the next time that they interact with a woman or an African-American or a person of color period or someone young, someone not from the same state or city, they'll think twice about it and someone else will have a better experience. Absolutely. And what advice, you know, given hopefully the landscape's changing to some degree, hopefully there's some tiny bit of movement, but I'm interested. I mean, you, I think you did just lay it out pretty clearly. I'm curious if there's anything else you would say about what others in leadership, right, that have that power, right, that are on the board, that are making those decisions, you know, what advice do you have to help them think differently, right? Because I think that's, at least in my limited scope, is, is part of this, is just reframing in your baseline, right? Yeah, I think it's being open to conversations with people who aren't like you. Yeah, and it's, that, it's know, like that simple. That it's, it's literally that simple. Yeah, yeah. And I think because I go back to the Commercial Brokers Association, I had conversations there just about diversity, you know, because we had none. You know, they're like, we got you. But <laughs> 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 some of the conversations that I had, they just were in places where they just didn't have to think about it. And it wasn't like an intentional thing. It wasn't a malicious thing. It was, I, I, it's not my life. It's not, I don't have to think about that every day. I don't, I'm not mindful of who's in a room that looks like me because everybody looks like me when I'm in a room. Mm -hmm. And what was cool there was that a lot of people that did have the conversations with that, they listened and you know it gave them a different perspective. And I think once you start to gain that perspective, then it's up to you to dig a little bit, you know, deeper into what that means. Um, and that, you know, I think that just goes for everybody. Like I started watching, you watch Pose? No. Yeah, oh, you should watch it. 
Okay. It's, it's really, really good. It's a good show on uh, FX. Um, it's on Netflix. But it's about um, the transgender community. And it's really about, like, the ball scene in, like, the 80s. But it goes into a lot of other, you know, issues. And it's a whole area that um, I just didn't know about a lot about um, the transgender community. But just watching this TV show on FX, like, it, it really just sparks more curiosity for me. And I had a transgender um, employee. And there was just one of those things like, I want to show up, you know, the best way I can for them. And I need to be able to be able to have the knowledge. And if I don't have it, I can't be shy and not go seek it because it's right. out there. I can right. on my own. Like I can't, I don't have to rely on them to tell me about it. Um, so I think that's really the, the biggest piece is just being open. And that's part of why, you know, my, my friends and I started um, Text the Table, which is like our webcast because we would have all these conversations ourselves over text. And then it's like, why don't we just record this conversation and put ah. it out there? And what that did was it provided people that wanted to just listen to us, that they just listened, you know, and they heard a different perspective and they were able to start dialogues and dig deeper on their own as a result of that. And I think it literally is that simple. It really is to change the mindset. And text to table is now a podcast. Is it? I think you had done some Facebook Live stuff too, yeah, we, right? We typically um, it's it's available on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we typically do a live show once a month, and then it's awesome. It's, on, uh, it's loaded up for a podcast the next day. That's awesome. I uh, I so appreciate that, and I you know as someone that obviously is definitely in learning mode, and I think. You know, one of the things like I've noticed, like, and I'm, as you age, right? Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I keep t joking around that in certain things I'm aging out, right? Like I'm, I have to do a lot for my own business around marketing and social media and, you, you know, sort of self promotion. And I joke all the time that like, I'm aging out of this, like I, you know, and then, and there's some things that, you know, that passes right and it's a joke and that's good. And there's other things that with if, if I'm honest around transgender and some other things that are newer to the landscape in terms of being able to understand them and get educated sometimes I feel like I'm aging out like it it's like almost beyond me because it and I yeah. I used to think about my own parents and their limited and narrow view of things sure, about yeah. me and about my generation and so I think in addition to being open and listen it's like really stretching yourself beyond what's comfortable yeah. as you age because you have spent a lot of your like you get to this point where you're like I just kind of want to chill out <laughs> and it's yeah. really like to be to have impact or to make a difference or to be relevant you, yeah you need to stay current yeah and, and I, I think you when you talk about aging out I yeah. mean you can think about the younger generations and just watching how they're growing up yeah. watching what's normal yeah for them like I talked to someplace else recently about when I was in college, a lot of um, people that, you know, were gay were not out. You didn't know their sexual orientation, you had no clue. Right. And it was many years after college, you know what I mean, that they're out and it's like, man, you had to go through college and keep that to yourself. You know, that, that's, that sucks, you know? And then you think about your kids or like your niece and nephews and they don't they don't have that same experience like kids are able to be out and be themselves and not everybody but right. you know at least they're they're exposed and they're it's the norm to be you 
Um, there's still a long way to go. It's not like that everywhere, but you know what I mean? You get to see what's, you know, become something that is a, a level of understanding in different generations. And I think, like you said, it's sometimes it's just not fully understanding, but um, yeah, I say, look at the younger generations and I what they tolerate or don't tolerate and something that you think you don't tolerate just take a look at how the younger generations are looking at that issue. It's so true. Like they're such good teachers in that way. They're, they really are. Like I, I feel like they're great teachers for a lot of us on a lot of these issues that are uncomfortable and difficult. They seem to be handling it better. <laughs> yeah. uh, so and hopefully you know, the there's, ho- seriously, like, yeah. there's so many podcasts out there on yeah. everything. If you're like afraid to ask somebody or you're afraid to learn more about it or you hear just listen, yeah. you're like kids talking about you can literally <clears throat> find a podcast on it and listen on your own and hear a different perspective and you'll find yourself like digging a little yep. different. And I will say too, like I just something you said really struck me and where you said every day is kind of a, a hardship to some extent that you're kind of questioning certain things or or blatantly you know having to question them based on the way people are treating you and I it makes me so sad and it and it like I hope well one thank you for kind of sticking through it so that you can be part of that change because hopefully to your point around you will communicate it and you'll be honest with people or you so that people know what they're doing is unacceptable or one I think what you said is so interesting that there's because you're not experiencing it, it's not relevant to you. You don't even have a idea that it's happening or context or perspective. And so you just go about your day. And so you saying that I think is helpful to me and it's a good reminder and hopefully people listening, it's just be aware and be conscious and be intentional about how you interact and treat people, like all different kinds of people, right? Yeah. And also, you know, it's something that I just was joking with this friend of mine over text because we were, it was funny how it came to be, but she and her husband went on a trip. They came home, they both were eating a lot and they gained weight. And then he lost like 10 pounds in the first like weekend they were home. And she was like, I'm so frustrated. And I was like, well, maybe as a couple, you shouldn't talk about weight. <laughs> but then what, what like evolved from that was this whole text conversation about like self-limiting beliefs and how I think women versus men we seem to do a worse job of that whereas men don't have those self-limiting like i can do it i'll you know marry the governor no i i can be the governor right the fact that you even said that at 10 years old it's like being aware of your own self-limiting the imposter stuff like no i'm not an imposter i've earned the right to be here i've worked really hard to be here like we have to be our own i think cheerleaders in that way and and kind of correct that mindset yeah, because it kind of studies out there that right. show that like men will go for things um, underqualified, yeah, without hesitation. Right, and women will be overqualified and question their abilities for sure. So and that's it's, in everything. It's not just you know work. Like you said, it's I'll just drop these ten pounds. You know, women will magically think like, oh, probably it's going to be so hard. I got to do this. I got to set up this. I got to do this. They'll just get up and go run. Next thing you know, they're like, oh, I'm good. Look at me. But sometimes it is a mind. I mean, there's obviously other things, but sometimes it is a mindset of what you tell yourself you can do. Right. We do doubt ourselves a lot more statistically, genetically than men do. For sure. So it's a good reminder for all of us to give that growth mindset a chance and and like start it 
like with you yourself. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfreemanassociates.com. Gosh, we've talked about so many great things. I'm curious from from you, like in terms of, because I don't want to keep you too long, I, I have two standard questions that I ask people. One is just as you think about everything you've been through, uh, which is considerable in terms of a lot of change that you've had to, I think the up and moving a couple of times, the pivoting on your career choice, um, clearly putting yourself out there in ways that are uncomfortable and kind of pushing yourself. So as you think about your path to this point and you were to give some counsel to someone that is just starting out in their career, or maybe they're going into college or even younger, you know, what are some some thoughts or pearls of wisdom that you have, like if you were to counsel young Michelle, what would you what would you tell her? Um, kind of along your lines of talking about knowing self-worth and yeah. imposter syndrome. I think I would hit that early. There's a book on um, that really changed my mindset. It's called Expect to Win okay. by Carla Harris. Um, she's a sorority sister of mine, but she was one of the first black women on Wall Street. And she has such an awesome story, but she wrote this this book called Expect to Win. And it really talks about as a woman and as a woman of color, like what she had to change her mindset to really excel in her field. She, she was definitely brilliant. She was definitely had all the skills to do it, but she had to change her mindset around the environments that she was in to excel on Wall Street. And she has different pearls of wisdom, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, in there that you work through. And I had the book, I'd heard her speak, you know, at conferences. I'd had the book just sitting around. And one random day, I just picked it up. And I'm not a huge reader, um, but I read the book. And it was a lot about like executive presence and, and just re- to that whole mindset of knowing your worth. And I wish I had read that earlier. You know, yeah. I had it. And I wish I had read it like a couple jobs prior. Um, so now, like when I coach um, young women, especially, I tell them to read that book, like in college. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. This book. She has others now. Um, I think Strategize to Win is another one. But I tell them to read it, you know, right now um, so that they can expect to win for themselves um, sooner than I think a lot of us in our generation have done and just have that confidence. And it's not just about in a career path, I think it's also just in life. You know, as you go through different relationships, friendships, you know, romantic relationships, just understanding the self-worth across the board and wanting to win in a positive way um, in all those aspects. I think that's so great. And I, I feel like, too, one of the things you mentioned before, which maybe is in line with this book, but how you approach the art of influencing other people. So for you in your role now, particularly as CEO, but certainly in some of the things you've talked about where you're being treated a certain way and how do you influence a behavior to get a different outcome versus what could be a very personal and appropriate emotional reaction. You know, that's something for me that like over the years now, the emotional response is to, you know, sometimes you have to do that count to 10 and then figure out how do I want to inf- influence a different outcome here? Um, mm-hmm. And that mindset becomes such a key component. It's it's not always easy. And it's learned. It's yeah. practiced and learned. And, and you have to 
you have to practice that. You know, we're, we're a family of athletes. You know, you train. You literally have to train for that too. Yes. And, you know, it's just. Oh my gosh. I used to. I, I don't drive that much anymore. But in the car, I would have conversations that I might have, like difficult conversations I might need to have at work or something. In the car, I would practice them. Just out loud. Just saying, I'm like, or saying what I think the response is going to be, and most of that's around, you know, to your point, getting the emotional stuff out, so that when you're in front of the person, you know what I mean, you you kind of all gone through what you're going to say. But I think that is something like you got to train yourself. Um, another thing, I'd be remiss if I didn't like pub the mess out of therapy. Ah, um, I yeah. Think that that is so vital um at any stage in life really at any stage i think it's valuable um just to have that listening ear and to help you navigate you know how different things are interpreted internally for you how different experiences have shaped you how you show up you know what i mean and it really has made a difference um in my life you know what i mean and i hope it helps me make a difference in like my my son's life and my husband's life like moving forward just wanting to be able to show up as a different person i won't say a better person you know what i mean because i i think you know i feel like i've been a good person you know yeah. what i mean but it yeah. helps you look at it from to your point of beyond the emotional response and or understanding the emotional response you know yeah. understanding why you react that way and then that helps you change your mindset around it it's so i mean the whole being self-aware knowing yourself well like i'm such a huge fan of that the the practicing piece i'm I'm, i I like so much happens in your head until it comes out of your mouth it just never if it's the first time it's never how it goes right so i'm such a huge fan which kind of ties into my last question which is really you've done so much already in terms of promotion of the things that i'm so passionate about that i'm really trying to on my you know, mini crusade here in my second act around soft skills development. And really, you've talked about so much of how they're an important part of what you do, like in terms of when I asked you first about being in an association and that career path, you you brought up Bill soft skills is a huge part of it. So from your perspective, and the different experiences you've had, if you had to pick one or two that you think are critical, or someone was going to spend some time developing those skills to, to be successful, what would your your thoughts and advice be there? Um, a good skill, facilitation. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good one. I'm not just facilitating like a big meeting or anything like that, but I think being able to facilitate any type of conversation, a difficult one, a good one, hard, positive, you know, yeah. I think just those skills to know how to facilitate, how to actively listen, and you know direct conversations and switch conversations i think that's been a skill that i've taken um a lot of time and i won't say perfecting but being as close to that as i can um so it's been that's been great um the other thing i would say is public speaking um you know you get to public speak more than you think in this career and sometimes you're you're pushed into that i want one quick story as i said that um, yeah Marsha Fudge, who's the current uh, Secretary of HUD and a former Congresswoman from here in Ohio, she uh, was a past national president of my sorority. So I would come in for these legislative meetings in DC all the time. And because I was on the National Social Action Commission, I didn't know how I got on this at the age I did. So it would be all these like mayors and Congresswomen and 
state reps and judges and lawyers and then like me and this one other uh Zora mine who was also just out of school or we were either in our last year or something and Marsha Fudge was the chair and I remember she would just tell us what to do and we would just do it but one day at a national convention and there was like an audience of like six or eight thousand people she decides that we're going to give the report for the social action commission and she tells us like as we're entering to sit on this dais in front of a thousand of people that you guys are going to give the report it's not like it's written you know what i mean that we can just read it she's just like no just tell them what we've been doing and we like panicked oh. and freaked out so we're like frantically writing notes trying to get all this stuff together and she's like oh it's all right there you have it you know just go so we get up in front of this audience and i mean we i don't I, we i literally froze like, so I said, I did you black talking. out yeah i was like blacked out i couldn't get words to come out of my mouth they yelled was, yeah she was trying she was like uh, and then Marsha Fudge stands up and we're thinking, thank God, you know, she's about to save us. And she gets up and she says, you know, I want you all to know, I just told them that they need to give this report um, just a few minutes ago, you know what I mean? So, or it may seem like they're not prepared. They didn't have a lot of time, um, but we need to uplift young people, especially when we see things in them that they may wow. not see. Yeah. So I'm going to sit down and they're going to finish this report. And she sat oh. down and I'm like hyperventilating, but and she sat there and was like, Are you all gonna finish this report? And then you can sit down. And I don't know what, what I was talking about, I don't know what we said, but we got through it, we finished the report, and then we sat down. And she was like, she got back up and she told everybody, you know, give us a round of applause and you know, supported wow. us. And she she gave the rest of the report. But um I was that was probably one of my most like embarrassing moments and I recently interviewed her um because of her being with HUD and I brought that up and she said that the reason she did that was because she saw something in me that I needed to be pushed like we needed to be pushed to pull it out um so I wouldn't necessarily want to be in that situation again <laughs> like that Right. But what it definitely taught me was being prepared to be speak on the fly. Um, I will never get caught up like that again. I'll know how to, you know, work through. I always go through talking points in my head, no matter what it is. If I think if I'm supposed to speak or not, I've got talking points running through my head about if I do get asked something or if I do get pulled up for something, what I would say. I have an elevator speech. And, I, and that literally came from that moment. But I, I, that skill I tell people to work on is public speaking, you know what I mean? So luckily prior to that, I had done some, mm -hmm. not to that extent, but I had done some. So I wasn't not comfortable being in front of 6,000 people, but I definitely would have liked to have been prepared. But I think like Toastmasters is amazing. Any type of like public speaking training, like a day of media training, even if you have no intentions of ever speaking in front of the media, is a very cool experience because they'll just train you on how to just answer questions on the fly. Um, that's been something that I have definitely grown in. I don't have that totally down, but it's one of those skills you just keep working on. I think the sooner you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. And whether you're in this career or really any career, um, public speaking is probably going to happen at some point in your totally life. Totally agree. What a great story. Oh my gosh, what a great story. And I 
I mean, I feel like, you know, people would think you and I conferred before this conversation because of everything you're talking about. But I had to, I was at a family uh, celebration. My nephew was getting married and it was the kind of the kind of party after the rehearsal dinner. You know, we're all just hanging out and everyone looks at me and is like, you have to give a toast right now. Right. And I had not planned for it at all, at all. Mm -hmm. And my sister, his mom's looking at me, and my husband's looking at me, and I'm like, holy, you know, okay, give me a minute, you know? And I just, because I've done a lot of public speaking, because I've thought about, you tell a story, I, you know, there's a couple things. Yeah. And so, and I, I did kind of black out because I really wasn't at all prepared, but yeah. afterwards, there was like, that was amazing. And, you know, right. you, you kind of hit the right notes. But I think the practice, you know, I'm a big believer in, anytime you're up in front of another person right in, in any context it's like practice mm -hmm. so when you talk about like not just facilitating a meeting i agree at the same time facilitate a meeting like you're facilitating a meeting in front of someone that is right that gives you nerves because that's mm -hmm. how you you get to fail and it's not you're not in front of eight thousand people without yeah, having right. any prep you know i love it it's such a great example <laughs> thank you thank you so much it's great i love everything that we talked about and i so appreciate your time and i know you've got you're already in a speaking engagement and you snuck us in and i just really appreciate your time and and your straightforwardness it's just it's awesome i can't wait for our audience to hear this yeah no i appreciate it i've uh heard your podcast before so happy to be on here thank you yeah so warm. Listen, I, I love talking about just you know journeys and how that can help other people and Sounds like that's what you do too. Thank you, Michelle. Relatable community, I promise I did not prep Michelle before this conversation. It was such a pleasure to talk with someone who also feels strongly about the importance of executive presence and feeling confident, knowing that you have a right to be where you are and that you're good enough. Such great advice. Thank you, Missy, e, for producing this episode, and thank you to our relatable community and listeners. We're so thankful for your support and listenership. If you get a moment, please subscribe to the Relatable Podcast rate us and leave comments we can be found on your favorite listening platform relatable is sponsored by teresa freeman associates you can follow us on twitter and the tfa facebook page until next time this is teresa freeman with relatable stay connected <laughs>